July 15th, 2022. We're in in the wide lines, four lines down, three words before the end of the line. The Gemara, for our purposes today, begins with a pasuk with regards to a nevuah from Yeshayahu Hanavi to Hizkiyahu HaMelech. And he tells him, Mibanecha Ashe Yesu Mimecha Ashe Tolid. Pasuk describes how descendants of you, or Yikahu rather, not Yikahu, will be taken and they will be Sarisim in the kingdom, in the palace of the king of Bavel. Of course, this is a reference, it would seem, to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, all of whom, as we mentioned yesterday, as we've been discussing in the course of past few days were taken to the kingdom of Melech Bavel, to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and uh, so as a result, this is a prediction of what's going to take place to them. Well, anyway, says the Gemara, my sarisim. What does it mean in this pasuk when, the, when they're described as sarisim? Now, we know this word saris from several places in the Torah, in the Nevi'im, in the Ketubim. It generally speaking just means a minister. It means a sar, a person who works in the kingdom of of the monarchy. Over here, the Gemara will at first, uh, or excuse me, will second have such a suggestion. The first suggestion of the Gemara is Rav Amar Sarisim Mamash. According to Rav, it's a reference to actual Sarisim. A Saris is a person who's castrated. And that would make sense in the context of a kingdom as well, because if the, uh, the Sar, the minister, was being taken, you don't want them involving themselves, A, with your wives, if you're the king. And furthermore, you want them focused on the job. As a result, you'd rather them not be involved in building a family or involved in any sexual activity at all. So as a result, the first suggestion here in the Gemara is that it was Sarisim Mamash. Why over here does the Gemara have such a question? In general, in the Torah, we're willing to accept, even, the word, even though the word in Hebrew, Saris, means castrated, we generally speaking translate it simply as a minister. Over here specifically suggests Maharsha. The Gemara is uh, thinking, Rav's opinion is that it's Sarisim Mamash, that they were actually castrated because it's in the context of this ominous uh, prediction, this terrible thing that's to happen in the future. They're going to be taken from your descendants, Chizkiyahu Amelech. You should know what they're going to be. They're going to be Sarisim that they're going to be ministers in the kingdom, that they're going to work in the palace. All right, listen, it was a Jewish threat to them, but ultimately speaking, it wasn't a terrible prediction. To predict alternatively that they're going to be castrated, well, that makes sense then that we're talking about something terrible far off in the future. That's why Rav, according to Maharsha, suggests that it's Sarisim HaMash. Verbi Hanina Amar, Shenistaresa Avodazara Beyamehem. He as well doesn't read it kipshuto, that it means just ministers, but it rather is a reference to the fact that it was nistaresa avodazara biyamehem. Nistaresa, again, milashon sirus, of castration, but instead of suggesting that they themselves were physically castrated, they lost their ability to reproduce, instead he suggests that it's avodazara through them during their time, Nistaresa, how is Avodazara uh, neutered? How does Avodazara become castrated? The suggestion would go as follows. By determining, by deciding not to bow to the Salem, by showing all the others how they have that strength, they're thrown into the furnace of fire and they live. The Salem, the Gemara told us, furthermore then falls over, it's toppled downward. Well, Everyone looks at this and decides and determines as a result 
That Avodah Zarah is not all it was built up to be. And as a result, in that time period, according to the Midrash, it's not Mefurash and the Pesukim, the allure of Avodah Zarah is immediately diminished. People look at it and say, if these people were able to withstand, look at their life, look at their capabilities, look at the circumstances that surrounded what they did, if you were to argue that second opinion, I now understand, or I can easily understand that pasuk, which we read just a day or two ago, the pasuk described how Nebuchadnezzar, looking into the furnace, sees there are three individuals and then another one behind them. Remember the Malach behind them. But the three of them, the Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, Hava la iti behon. Hava la itai behon. There was no haval itai behon. There was no haval on them. I made a mistake the last time I translated this. The last time I translated this, I said it was milashon hevel. It was that they weren't tied up. Pasuk does say they were unconstrained, but these words specifically are a reference to the Lashon Havala, which means a bruise or a wound. So the Pasuk describes how they didn't have any wounds. But wait a second. Nebuchadnezzar is looking and he's seeing these three, whom, according to Rav, and our Gemara, had already been castrated. You're telling me they don't have any wounds? They don't have any bruises? They would quite literally were maimed. They were, by the word of the king, when they were brought into the palace, according to Rav, castrated. You can't say about them, You can't say about them that they were intact. How can you make such a claim? How can Nebuchadnezzar say that about them? They may have been beautiful, fantastic, very handsome and good looking. You're not going to say, unless you're saying, unless you're maintaining, he never did anything to them. Answers the Gemara, it's in context of the conversation. After all, what are we talking about? We're talking about them being in the fire. So Nebuchadnezzar looking in at them, not just make a general statement, look at them. And you know, I see them and they look good and they're unblemished. He's talking about what the fire does to them. Answers the Gemara, Havala denura. It was that the fire didn't affect them. So he's looking and he's seeing them. I don't know if they're dancing around or hanging out, having a good time. And he says about them, There's no damage to them. Not that there was no damage before him. There's no damage from this fire. Nura means fire in Aramaic. Go ahead. How does Hanina, second Explain that that's a, a, a Nabi's come to rebuke Hizkiyahu. Yeah, uh, understood. In other words, the same claim Maharsha makes that Saris, for the first opinion, Rav, is that it's going to be a negative thing to them, unless, and so Jesse's question is, well, therefore, how do you explain the second opinion? He's talking about the terrible things that are going to befall them in the future. It's not so terrible. It's that the Avodazah is going to be diminished because of them unless it's the travails and the trials and difficulties that they're going to have in leading up to it. They will lead to that vision. Oh, they're good. I'm not certain, though. No. It's, it's a better question than answer. Continues the Gemara, Veha Ketiv. But wait a second. Doesn't the Pasuk describe Vereach Nur La'adat Behon? The Pasuk already tells us that the smell of fire was, did not enter into them. In other words, the Pasuk says explicitly... And the description then of Nebuchadnezzar is that they didn't even have a smell of fire on them. If they didn't have a smell of fire on them, of course, there was no damage to them from the fire. Says the Gemara, 
it was important to, to note, and we can all relate to this, it was a miracle. You're in the moment of a miracle. I could say nothing damaging happened to them. You know something? They didn't even smell a fire. They were so able to transcend the fire, so the pasuk not only states that they weren't damaged, it states that they weren't in any way penetrated or affected by this fire. They didn't even have a smell of fire on them. Says the Gemara Bishlama, back to the two opinions, Rav and Rabbi Hanina, I understand that second opinion again, that the Avodah Zarah lost its potent in that time. Its power was gone. Now I understand the Pasuk, or I can easily understand the Pasuk according to this opinion. Pasuk in praising Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, talking about this time the goodness of their. Uh, of their character, that they were able to be Shomer Shabbat, that they were able to withstand the pressures of entrance into Hechal Melech Bavel. Uh, so the Pasuk in that context refers to them as Sarisim. And so this is kind of the flip side of the Jesse question. In other words, in this context, it's clearly positive. I understand referring to them in a positive sense as Sarisim. Saris means, you know what you did? Because of you, you saved so many people from, from sin. And you want to know why you were able to do that? Because you were Shomer Shabbat and so on and so forth. Says the Gemara, if you to argue the other opinion, Rav's opinion, that they were castrated, are you in the midst of talking about this righteous person? I'm talking about this guy, and I'm telling you about how, what the great things he did, and the one with the I say, you see this guy, the guy who, as a young man, was, I don't know, raped. And he, why are you mentioning that? You're in the midst of talking about such a wonderful thing about this per- person. Why mention the terrible background? Um, keep in mind, the background wasn't even their doing, and you're going to refer to them as Sarisim in that context? How terrible. So says the Gemara, I can't understand that opinion. Answers the Gemara, ha veha hava beho. Behu. Says the Gemara, ha veha ze veze. Both of these, meaning the word Saris, doesn't mean either or, according to the first opinion, Rav. It means both. When the Pasuk refers to it the first time for our purposes as Saris, it's referring to them as being castrated. In this context, when we're talking about their greatness, and we're not referring to them as the castrated ones, we're talking about them as the ones who were able to castrate the Avodah Zarah. That's how the Gemara suggests it. says, Gemara Bishlamah, All right, now we'll go back to Rav's opinion, not to be Hanina, who suggested that it was Sarisim Mamash. We can understand the following according to his opinion. Uh, now I understand the Pasuk with regards to uh, mention of what will be the eternal remembrance, memory of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Bebeti, Ubehomotai, Yad Vashem, Tov Mibanim, Umibanot. The Pasuk describes how they'll have this eternal remembrance. We will be for them in this national collective memory, Yad Vashem, an arm and a name. Of course, today there's a, a, a well-known museum in Israel for survivors, uh, excuse me, for those who died in the Holocaust, Yad Vashem. You understand the context, you understand where they borrowed that name from. Yad Vashem means even after the death, even after they're gone, there'll be this eternal memory of them. We'll give them that eternal name, we'll give them that arm, that strength forever. Well, that being the case, if you're going to be talking now 
in the context of these individuals who were castrated. The Pasuk says, Tov mi banimu mi banot. Better than having sons or daughters, we will give them a memory for eternity. Pause for a second. It seems to suggest it's because, much as the Holocaust, uh, um, those who died in the Holocaust, they won't have, didn't have sons and daughters. So to Hanani Amishael and Azariah didn't have sons and daughters, right? In other words, I said to you, listen, there is hope for the future. The hope for the future, the batteries run out. The hope for the future is that you will have a memory. Don't despair. That means that something's going to end right now. That means you didn't have the ability to actually have children. So if you tell me like Rav that they were Sarisim Mamash, well then I can explain. That's why the Pasuk says, How do you explain then the, this Pasuk? Uh, what do you mean, Tov mi banim mi banot? They had sons and daughters. In fact, if you recall, two days ago in the Gemara, we had an opinion that what happened to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah afterwards. If you remember, they went to Eres Israel, they got married, they had sons and daughters. So they had sons and daughters. What's Tov Mi Banim Banot? Amar of Nahman by Yitzhak. Mi Banim Shehayulayim Kevar Umetu. Suggest this opinion in the Gemara. Indeed, they had children but their children passed away. So yes, they weren't castrated, but their children, for one reason or another, I guess it's Masoret, or perhaps it's explaining the Pasuk, uh, based on its understanding of it, they had children and the children died. So yes, not that they were castrated per se, as Rav claimed, but rather their children perished, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and now the claim is, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, don't despair, you should know, there's a future for you. Says the Gemara, but the Pasuk says, furthermore, it doesn't just say they're going to have a Yad Vashem, it says they're going to have a Shem Olam, an eternal name, Eten Lo, Asher Lo Yikaret. He will be given an eternal name, which will never be cut off. Who is he? We were talking about four. You're ahead of me, Jared. We were talking about four. Mishchananiah, Mishchananiah, and Daniel. Now we say, lo, I'll give to him. The suggestion is, indeed, as, as Jared said, that it's a reference specifically to Daniel. What does Daniel have that the other three didn't have eternally? Amar bitanhum darash bar kapara besipori ze sefer Daniel shenikra al shemo. Suggest the Gemara, that is the name of the book. Daniel has a book which is named after him. It's true, we describe Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We tell the stories of them. You want to know what an eternal name is? That you have a book named after you. That you have a book as part of the Jewish canon, Tanakh, named Sefer Daniel. That's the Shem Olam. He truly was remembered and is remembered eternally. Says the Gemara, okay, now that we're talking about names of books, let's pause for a minute. Let me just tell you outside before we read inside. Today, if you were to open up to a standard Tanakh, you'll see there's a book called Ezra, and then there's a book called Sefer Nehemiah as well. However, the second book, that book called Sefer Nehemiah, it's a somewhat modern innovation. We got that from the non-Jews. Historically, Gemara time period, we refer to it all as Sefer Ezra. There was no Sefer Ezra and Sefer Nehemiah. It was all Sefer Ezra. Why would you rename it, quote unquote? Because the second book is really all the words of Nehemiah. As a result, the Gemara will ask, in the old lens, before quote-unquote corruption, before we change the name. So it's all called Sefer Ezra. Why so? Again, I'm telling you the question from today's standpoint is what are you talking about? It's not all called Sefer Ezra. But once upon a time when it was all Sefer Ezra, the question was, well, if the second part of this is all written by and spoken by Nehemiah, why is it called Sefer Ezra? Says the Gemara Mikteh. Mashiach is supposed to come from the descendant of 
David. Yes, David and let's say Daniel, maybe Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, if they're from Yehuda. So using they don't think so. How are we getting that? Interesting question. Uh, so, uh, well, several things. First and foremost, who said it's supposed to come from them? We know it's supposed to come from David's lineage, not necessarily from them. And secondly, we did have two opinions. You're, so you're just challenging that opinion if you were to claim that. But we never said it's specifically from them. We said it's from David's lineage. They are from David's lineage. Might be from a different, uh, different branch, a different root of it. Says the Gemara, but you almost got me there, Jeffrey. Michdeh says the Gemara, Kol mile de Ezra Nehemiah ben Hachalia Amarinu. Says the Gemara, all the words, when we're really talking about the latter half of Sefer Ezra, were said by Nehemiah ben Hachalia. Uh, so then why wasn't the book named after him? I love this. I love that the rabbis were sensitive to the names of books. In today's day and age, we imagine the name of book, okay, maybe it just crept in. No, they were very particular about this. They're questioning on Sheikh Neset and uh, the men of the Great Assembly, who's uh, several hundred years before uh, the Talmud, and they're wondering, why did they give names in such a fashion? Why didn't they name that portion Nehemiah? Names are significant for many reasons. Says the Gemara, Unfortunately, suggests the Gemara, it's because of a wrongdoing of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was too self-centered. How so? Imar. As the Pasuk says in, well, what we call Sefer Nehemiah, Zachera li Elohai letoba kol asher asiti al ha'am hazeh. God should remember me for positive, for all the positive that I have done. Well, speaking about yourself, talking about all your goodness, is a little self-centered. Not to take away from the fact that you did it, but to take away from the shame, from the name that you'll have eternalized. We're not going to give it to you, but rather to another. Says the Kimana, but wait a second, we have others who have done this, others whom we have canonized proudly. We've said to them, your books are fantastic, and we don't look at you with this questioning look of how could you speak that way about yourself. For example, David Pasuk says with regards to David HaMelech, he turns to God and he says, remember me. Uh, well, if, God, if David's requesting God to remember him in a similar way, uh, you're telling me Nehemiah is the bad guy, David for some reason is okay, answers the Gemara, David rahamehu dekabaye. David, the Pasuk is, God, with your mercy, please remember me. It's quite the opposite. I'm a lowlife. I don't have much to me. What am I? Please remember me. Nehemiah's statement was, remember me because of all the goodness I did. It's very different. One is, I request for you to pay attention to me because I'm nothing. Another one is, pay attention to me because I'm everything. As a result, the Gemara is critical of Nehemiah and suggests that's why we didn't name, originally at least, the name of the book in which he is the main character, the person who speaks throughout Sefer Nehemiah. Says the Gemara, Rav Yosef Amar Siper Bignutan Shel Rishonim. There's a different reason why Nehemiah's book was not named after him. He did something else wrong. What was that? That he spoke wrongfully about earlier generations. Now, this is not so different than the first opinion. 
Being self-centered means that I can speak about myself as being greater than people before me, much as I can speak about myself being great in this moment. So just two angles for looking at a deficiency, a character flaw in the Hamya, but it's the same one. At its core, <coughs> it's a self-centeredness. It's a certain haughtiness. I'm greater than the earlier generations, or I could speak badly about them because I can envision being in their place and doing it better, or I'm speaking about myself. Look at all the goodness I've done. Shene Emar, what did he say wrongly about the earlier generations? Well, he talked about the leadership leadership of the earlier generations. And so forth. The Pasuk describes how <coughs> um, he talks about the earlier leadership who were um, uh, uh, burdensome to the people, who requested and demanded food and money in order to maintain their lifestyle. That's Nehemiah speaking about the leadership that preceded him. I don't know if it's wrongfully per se, but it's wrongfully the way he's speaking about them. I don't know if the facts don't add up. It's possible the facts do add up, but to speak that way, well, maybe he should have been a little bit more judicious in his words. He says he's talking about Jewish leaders. Yeah, but it could have been the last governors of Babylonian Empire who were ruling all of Jerusalem. He was the first leader in Israel. I suppose, the, the, I suppose the answer is contextual, I suppose. I mean, it's, certain, it's certainly the way the Hachamim are reading it. We'd have to read it inside to determine whether it could be re- read otherwise. I think, I don't know why, but I think it was a, um, a uh, subtle uh, critique of even Ezra, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but all right, we'd have, to, we'd have to determine that. Says the Gemara Ve'af, okay, this one, uh, hang on here, Jesse. Ve'af al-Daniel and says the Gemara, and even Daniel, who was greater than him, about who, who was greater than him, he was talking badly. All right, again, you don't have an explicit mention per se, but that's the Gemara. Now the Gemara says, who says Daniel was greater than Nehemiah? Answers the Gemara, Daniel was greater than Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Of course he was greater than Nehemiah. Pause for a second. What, what, what is happening over here? How are we ranking people in terms of their greatness? No simple uh, feat or, uh, or direction over here, but the Gemara will compare quote-unquote visions of God and prophecy one to the other in order to determine, quote, who's greater than the other. So what the Gemara will do in just a moment is the following. Daniel, whom we do not assume generally speaking, the Gemara will say explicitly at the top of Dafsadi Dalit, was not a prophet in the traditional sense. Daniel was never turning to the people and giving them messages. That's the way Rashi and Masech and Megillah understands that. He was not a prophet in the respect that he was teaching others the way. Alternatively, Harambam and his Morena Bukhim suggest Daniel never got Nivuah, which is this highest level of perception. He got a lower level called Ruach HaKodesh. That's Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah rose to that higher level of perception, of understanding, and prophecy. However, in a moment we'll see that Daniel was able to have a certain spectacle vision that they did not. So therefore, the Gemara will suggest Daniel being able to perceive something more than them. I don't know, for example, think think about this week's parasha. The Aton, seeing more than Bil'am, makes us scratch our heads, made him scratch and said, wait a second, is this Aton greater than me? It might mean that it was just in a moment, but there is something very telling about that. The fact that Bil'am can't see and the Aton can see. So as a result, the Gemara will suggest Daniel was greater in that respect than Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah because he could see but they couldn't. What about Nehemiah? What does that have to do with Nehemiah? Nehemiah never gets prophecy. As a result, he's at the very bottom of this. So here's Nehemiah as a great leader, but at the bottom. Then we have these others. Well, we're going to compare them. Well, we're going to say if Daniel stands at the top of Halaniyah, Mishael, and Azariah, 
he's certainly greater, quote unquote, than Nehemiah as well. Says the Gemara, how do we know that Nehemiah was, um, uh, excuse me, that Daniel was greater than Hananiah? I myself saw this vision. It was a specific prophetic vision here in Perik Yod of Sefer Daniel. And the men who were together with me, who were the men? They didn't see it. They, however, had this terrible tremor. They were very scared in this moment. And then they ran to hide. That's Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah, Daniel partakes in this vision. They run because they're all scared. All right, so that's the proof for all intents and purposes. Ask the Gemara, while we're at it, Who are those people who are together with him? I mean, who else is together with Daniel in this terrible circumstance, finding out from the palace of Melech Bavel? Uh, answers the Gemara, Amar I spoke wrong. I'm sorry. I said Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I should have been talking about Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Why does the Gemara talk about Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi in this context? Well, says the Gemara, they were the prophets during this time period, and they being the prophets during this time period, not being able to behold the spectacle, but Daniel being able to behold the spectacle, gave him that stature above them, not Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, another trio who I mistakenly uh, mentioned. Says the Gemara, Inhu He was greater than them, and they were greater than them than him. Who's they and he? Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi versus Daniel, Daniel versus them. Well, how's Daniel greater than them? Well, we talked about that just a moment ago. Daniel was able to partake in this vision, and they were not. How are they greater than him? Well, we talked about that a minute ago as well. They were prophets and... He was not. Yeah, that's what Gemara says. In who adif minayu? In who means they adifemine the inhu nevi'e, the ihu lav navi. They were prophets. He wasn't, either in terms of depth of perception, harambam, or alternatively in terms of leadership role as prophet. Rashi. The ihu adif minayu, why was he greater than them? The ihu haza he saw in this moment. The inhu lahazu they did not see. Says the Gemara Vikimahar de Lahazu. If Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi did not see, if they didn't partake in this prophetic vision, so what are they nervous about? You're together with me. You see something. I don't know what... Back to Bil'am and the Aton. The Aton sees an angel in front of him. Bil'am does not. Bil'am is not nervous. Bil'am is not scared. Only the Aton is going to the side of the road. Makes a lot of sense. He didn't see it. So if that's the case, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, who didn't see anything. Only Daniel is partaking in the prophecy. But the Pasuk says they have a haradag They're very nervous. They run and they hide. What are they running and hiding from? Even though they themselves did not see Mazalaihu Haze, their Mazal saw. Not so fast, Jared. You should like this. Where's Robbie when you need him? He'd beat you up for making that face. What's the Mazal? Mazal Rashi and Masechi Migilan Gimal writes, this is a Sar, this is a minister above which each of us possess. And in some way or fashion, if we're to talk about this in the most rational sense, which it need not be, but in the most rational sense, this is a reference to some sort of subconscious feeling where we almost perceive danger 
and awe and trepidation in moments and circumstances where we can't, in our consciousness, explain how we know that. I just feel scared right now. What are you feeling scared of? Something. I'm somehow wrapped up by a feeling of awe and something is affecting me. That's this sarha mimune. That's their mazal in this circumstance. But again, beyond that, we can talk about a reality of some sort, some sort of metaphysical reality which is affecting them. That's this sarha mimune alehim. That's their mazal. The Gemara goes a bit further. Amaravina shema'mina. We can derive from this as ravina. Haiman. Hai means this, man whom, he whom, or this person whom, dimav'it, who all of a sudden spontaneously gets nervous, gets scared. When a person gets scared, even though you didn't see something, you want to know why you're getting scared? Must be that your sarha mimune, your minister, your minister from above, is seeing and in turn affecting you. Again, if we want to use the contemporary psychological terminology, we'd say it's your subconscious, your intuition, which is somehow affecting you, which is not conflicting per se with the words and, and, and the perspective of the hachamim. All right, here's an interesting part. It says the Gemara, how do you fix this? What do you mean, how do you fix this? You're in a moment where you have this existential fear. You're, just, you're, you're, you're somehow grabbed, grabbed and, and possessed by fear in this moment, you're scared, you don't know what to do. How do you fix it? Answers the Gemara, You should take four jumps away. What's the idea of taking four jumps away? Well, again, in the most psychological sense, by distancing yourself from a place where you have some sort of traumatic experience, from a circumstance and situation where you might not even be able to explain how, but moving away from it physically, that has a way of changing your emotional and psychological well with all. And that's the suggestion of the Gemara. So jump away from there. Alternatively, Alternatively, say, shift your perspective. Instead of being grabbed and pulled in by this fear of existence, pull yourself away and focus on the oneness, the unity, the exist- existential reality of HaKadosh Baruch Hu through what if when you're in a place of filth and dirt, you're not able to say Kiryat Shema? It's asur to in such a circumstance. Alternatively, you can say the following. You should know the is. What's an is? What type of animal? A goat. The goat of the butcher's block is fatter than me. In other words, you're so to speak saying to your demon, quote unquote, no capital D, lowercase d, you should know I'm not so special. There's much greater fish in the sea than me. You want good meat? Go find another one. Go find the goat and slaughter him. It's a description. Listen, when I was a kid and I was afraid of the dark, my mother said something similar to this to me. She didn't know the Gemara. She's a psychologist. She said, talk to yourself when you're in the dark. Be able to overcome it by speaking to whatever is giving you that fear. That's a very psychologically in tune line of the Hakamim to be able to divert your attention and change your perspective by speaking out and against your fear, overcoming it through words or through action. Says the Gemara onward, the Pasuk describes, just a bit more, the Pasuk describes uh, the following, Limarbe hamisra 
ulishalom en ketz al kiseh David ve'al mamlachto. Now I'll ask you for a moment to actually read the pasuk on the side of the page. If you look at it on the side of the page, you'll see that that word lemarbe, the second letter, is very strange. It's a closed mem, a mem sofit in the middle of a word. It's the only place we know of in Torah, Nevi'im and Kitubim, that that closed mem, you know, the one that looks like a box, it's in the middle of a word. Very strange. That's, of course, based on Masoret. Says the Gemara, this is a pasuk which is talking to Hizkiyahu Melech. It's Yeshayahu speaking to a pretty good king, Hizkiyahu, and talking about the fact that he'll have Marbeha Misra, he'll have a, a stature, a high level, pl- plentiful of that. Shalom and Ketz, and tons and a, a lot of peace. But what's with the word marbe having that closed mem? It's almost as if something is closed off. You're talking about his greatness. You're talking about the success. You're talking about all that's going to be positive for him. It says, Why is it that always, everywhere, 99.999% of the time, you'll find that the mem in the middle of a word is, is open? In other words, it's not a box. Vizeh, and this one, Satum, it's like a mem sofit in the middle. Bikesh HaKadosh Baruch Hu La'asot Chizkiyahu Mashiach V'Sanherev Gogu Magov Amera Midat Adin Lepnei HaKadosh Baruch Hu Bono Shalolam Mad David Melch Yisrael She'amar Kama Shirod Tishpechot Lepanecho Lo'asito Mashiach Chizkiyahu She'asita Lo Kol Hanisim Halalu V'Lo Amar Shira Lepanecha Ta'asehu Mashiach Lekach Nistatim suggests the Gemara that in this moment, according to the rabbi's understanding, Hezkiyahu was going to be crowned Melech HaMashiach. Sanherev, the king of that time period, would be in turn Gog Umagog. Gog Umagog is a, is a, a prophecy from Yechezkel. prophecy in Yechezkel is there'll be a king, Gog, a country, a, a kingdom, Magog, and they will be the last ones to give the sorrow to Israel in the end of days. Hezkiyahu, you're going to be the Melech HaMashiach. Sanherev, he's going to be Gog Magog. We're seeing the end of days. We will behold it right now. And in that moment, so to speak, God's will was thwarted. How so? Because the claim against him, the Midat Hadin, that strict letter of the law, justice and judgment of God, claimed, wait a second, David HaMelech was singing songs to you throughout, God. This Hizkiyahu, fantastic person, but you've done miracles to him already. Says Rashi, you've saved him from Sanherev already. You've even cured his illness. He had, right before the death of Sanherev, Shehin, he was supposed to die, and miraculously he was saved from that. Well, you've done that for him, and he's never sung a song for you. For him, you're going to give that ability to be Melech HaMashiach? Wrong person. It should have been David. It's certainly not going to be Ahizkiyahu, pause for a second and understand then, what's the significance of Shira? We've talked about the significance of Shira. Keep in mind, that's the key point over here. It's that, some, it's that um, David was able to sing, but Ahizkiyahu was never able to sing. What we say about song, song represents in Torah, maybe in life, 
this end aspect. Mars pointed out to me, we sang songs when we captured the Kotel Hama'aravi. It's in moments where we feel like we see the end coming together, where the circle's getting closed, we sing songs. I mentioned as well, it's when we sound shofar as well, and Mars pointed out, it's at the end of the Six-Day War, Shlomo Rabbi Goren sounded the shofar as well. The sound, the instrument of song. Hezkiah was never able to see the full perspective. He can't play the role of the end of days person. He doesn't have that vision. He never appreciated it. David was singing songs constantly, seeing the broader per- picture, the perspective in which he sees and understands your hand in all. Hezkiah can't be your person. He might be righteous. And the Gemara will in short time describe how the time period of Am Yisrael at that juncture was at its peak. Hezkiah Melech brought forth a time in which we were observant, we were connected, but... He didn't have the appropriate perspective. Of course, the Gemara will continue to, to, to state the counterclaim, but all that comes together in the closed men because although God wanted to open up Mashiach, it was closed and therefore, therefore signified in the Pasuk through that representation of instead of an open men, a closed one. Baruch Adonai Amen